What's going on, everybody? It is Jason Jaybird Goldstein here for another episode of The Bird's Eye View. What another amazing week of sports. The MLB playoffs continued to heat up. The NBA Finals played both games two and three. We had some amazing college football, and including a few upsets. And we had another NFL Sunday, despite some scare this week regarding COVID in the NFL. But m- most of the games were played. One game was rescheduled, and one game was postponed. But we're still getting NFL football, and that's all what matters. But before we talk about NFL football, let's start with the NBA uh, quick recap of Game 2 on Friday night. LeBron and AD dominated once again. AD possibly had the best game of his career, if not the, if not the best game, one of the best games of his career for certain. Uh, and honestly, the Heat, they would cut into it, but the Lakers would respond with a run. And yeah, it looked like at some point LeBron and AD were fighting with one another for who was going to be the Finals MVP, because after that 2 nothing lead, it looked like it was over without Bam, without Goran Dragic. But this is Jimmy Butler we're talking about. And Jimmy Butler had a Jimmy Butler game in Game 3. One of the best finals performances of all time. A 40-point triple-double. And like I said, that's Jimmy. When Jimmy has that killer drive, he's hard to stop. It's what helped this Miami team get to the Eastern Conference. Be the Eastern Conference champions, excuse me. And I think that game has officially solidified Jimmy Butler as a top 10 player in the game today, if he wasn't already, which I thought he was based on this playoff run. But I think that game three officially solidifies him as a top 10 player. Uh, You know, I mean, Jimmy Butler, he became the first player to have more points, rebounds, and assists than LeBron James in a final game. And that includes some of LeBron's teammates, who he obviously played with, Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving, guys like that. Uh, you know, if Bam can come back, this series is far from over, especially if Miami can lock down AD the way they did in Game 3. Uh, he was in foul trouble almost the entire time of Game 3 and only had 15 points. Uh, although, you know, it's possible that LeBron just said, Hey, AD, I need you to have a bad game, buddy. I need to take home Finals MVP for my legacy. So have a bad game. You know, you have a bad game, we lose, and then we end up winning the Finals. Then I get the MVP most likely. So, you know, it could just be LeBron doing that. Uh, yeah, but look, the series is far from over. Again, Jimmy Butler has such killer drive when he's determined. He's very, very, very hard to stop. I believe he even was caught on camera saying, Lakers are in trouble. And obviously if Bam comes back, he could potentially not shut down AD because it's very hard to shut down AD. But he adds a lot more defensive pressure on both Anthony Davis and LeBron James and can take them both one-on-one while Jimmy Butler takes the other, and that really helps this Miami defense. But look, all the other guys stepped up too for Miami. Kelly Olynyk had 17. Hero stepped up. Uh, Jay Crowder stepped up. So it wasn't as good as Jimmy Butler was. They were getting contributions from the other guys, which outside of LeBron and AD, the Lakers aren't really getting much contribution from those other guys. Uh, Markeith Morris had a few threes for the Lakers, and... That, that was about it. Caruso and Kuzma both played pretty well on defense, but there was really nobody who was stepping up as a reliable third option for the Lakers. And if the Miami Heat can just find a way to take one of them out of the game, like they did, like the, like the way they took AD out, they could be in pretty good shape. And you know what? Scratch that. Because Kuzma and Morris both did have 19 points more than AD, so they both did step up. But yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this finals goes. Again, it's far from over. Uh, I actually thought it was over after the Lakers were up 2-0. I'm going to go with my original pick and take the Heat to win the series. Excuse me, the Lakers to win the series in six. I do think the Heat at least take one more game from the Lakers. Just like I originally said. All right, we're going to transition now and talk talk the MLB. Uh, Since I last recorded... The Marlins and Padres, both of them I predicted to move on, are moving on to the next round. I believe the only teams I was wrong about were the Twins, 
and the Blue Jays moving on. So I'm on six and two picking in this round. I can't really complain about it. Uh, let's start off talking about Astros A's. Uh, Mike Fears will be playing the Astros. You know, Mike Fears was the guy who initially ousted the cheating scandal for Houston. He was a pitcher on that team, and then he came forward at the end of the 2019 season and revealed that the Astros were stealing signs and had a whole elaborate scheme. And that's what really opened up the entire MLB investigation. So that's definitely going to be a storyline to watch. Mike Fears is obviously one of Oakland's more reliable pitchers. He was pitching the do-or-die game, game three against Houston, against Chicago. And that's definitely just going to be another uh, another storyline to watch. Especially, you know, this year, these two teams do not like each other. They've had some beef, especially with Roman Loreno and the Astros' uh, first base coach. They had their little incident early in the season, which led to a lengthy suspension for the coach. And obviously, their division rivals, they don't like each other. Most teams don't like Houston, but I believe Oakland probably feels slighted with Houston stealing signs. They probably think, we could have won this division multiple years. And you took the division from us. Uh, they took the season series 6-4 to four from them. Uh, by the way, uh, so cool. All the ALDS and NLDS matchups, all of them aren't division rivals. You know, the Central was not very good, despite getting four teams from the NL Central in the playoffs and none of them playing each other. They all lost in the first round, as along with the three AL Central teams. Another story on the watch is, regardless of cheating or not, Houston has had some great postseason success. They've been in two of the last three World Series, the last three ALCSs. While this is, or Oakland just had their first postseason series win since 2006 against the White Sox. And that's one thing. Houston, they do well in the postseason. Oakland doesn't. Obviously, Oakland did beat that series against Chicago, so it might be some momentum for them. But we'll see how this goes. Uh, it's going to be a close series, I think. Uh, part of me wants to see Houston win because it would be cool to see the Yankees, Houston, and the ALCS, assuming the Yankees can beat the Rays. But also at the same time, fuck the Astros. I don't want to see them. I'm going to go with the A's in five. Yankees, Rays. Oh, boy. I'm excited, and I'm also nervous. I mean, you know, we're playing the Rays. We're playing a division rival. There's a ton of tension between these two teams. That right At this point, the rivalry between the Yankees and the Rays, at least player-wise, it's probably more intense than the Yankees Red Sox, at least this season. Uh, things have been getting things have been shipped these since it's really 2017 between the two. Whether it be throwing pitches inside, hitting batters in the head, CeCe Sabathia chirping at the Rays dugout, the Rays dugout chirping at the Yankees. There's a ton of drama between these two teams, and that's what makes me so excited because it's gonna be intense. And I'm obviously nervous because the Rays went eight and two against us this season. Uh, they dominated us. They, they swept the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. They just were absolute Yankee killers almost all season long and had our number. You know, sometimes people say, "Oh, New York are the big boys." People are afraid of us. The Rays were not afraid of us, and we looked like we were intimidated by the Rays all season long. Uh, I, I actually don't think that we're as intimidated now because I think we're very confident. I don't believe we played Tampa Bay at full strength all year. Maybe that first series, because... Yeah, yeah. I think Stanton went on the IL after the doubleheader, so... Uh, yeah, we, I think we played just three games against him at full strength and went one and two. But again, uh, it's going to be a really great series. I can't see the Rays dominating us again the way they did in the regular season. I don't see the Yankees dominating the Rays in this series either. And, you know, we're all, the, both teams are pretty angry. We're angry because all we're hearing about is how good the Rays were, how they were the one seed, how they kicked our ass all season long. And the Rays are hearing, wait, people are actually talking about the Yankees upsetting us and we kicked their ass. Like, no, we should be clear favorites in this series. I don't know why a lot of people think the Yankees are going to win. So clearly there was a lot of animosity. And again, yeah, they went 8-2. and two. Postseason's a different story. Yes, they swept us in Yankee Stadium, but that was during an atrocious slide. They got two series against us when the Yankees were at their low point of the season. Now they're facing a Yankees team, which is a lot, a lot more hot than they were previously, at full strength. And it's a completely different stadium at Petco Park. 
Uh, so that's so usually a pitcher-friendly park. You know, the Padres, like the Yankees, like the Reds, tend to live and die by the home run. But I don't know if the Rays offense can get it done in a pitcher-friendly park like Petco. I trust our offense to do it more, especially with the bombs that we hit from Stanton, from Judge, Gio, pretty much everybody. And I'm just really, really excited for this, for Game 1 to happen tonight. And I really hope that we can come out and win this series. That being said... I picked the Yankees to win the American League, so I'm obviously picking us to win this series. Yankees in five. Braves-Marlins. The Marlins still have not lost a playoff series. Uh, yeah, they've made the playoffs three times now. Their first two appearances, they won the World Series, beat the Cubs like I predicted. And they're a good team. This is not just a team that made it because they were a shortened season. Look, they went 31-29 and in quite possibly the toughest division in the MLB. Uh, and the pitching's good. Like I said, Sixto Sanchez and <clears throat> Sandy Alcantara, as good of a one-two punch as any in baseball. And look what they did, shutting down the Chicago Cubs offense. That being said, this Braves offense is a lot different and a lot better than the Cubs. The Cubs were let down all season by Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Javi Baez. While the Braves have arguably the best offense in baseball, even better than the Yankees with Freddie Freeman, Acuna Jr., who put up MVP numbers, Dansby, Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Abiez, Marcelo Zuna, Adam Duvall. This offense has just talent up and down the lineup. Not to mention that their top two pitchers are as good as any in baseball as well. I mean, Ian Anderson and Max Fried, neither of them allowed a run in their first-round series against the Reds. Yeah, the Reds' offense is not that good, but I don't care. To go two games in a row shutting down an entire offense is very, very impressive, and you have to give up to their bullpen. They've signed a ton of guys this offseason in that pen, which was a weakness last year, and now they have one of the best bullpens in the National League and in all of baseball, which is really, really going to bode, uh, bode well for this team. Uh, again, I talked about Ian Anderson. I talked about uh, Max Freya as being a great one-two punch, but this is not a two-game series. This is best of five. What happens in games three through five with their starters? You know, Tommy Malone was horrible when he came over. Cole Hamels is hurt again. Uh, Tua Toussaint, uh, Toussaint, I think is his name. I know he pitched against the Yankees. His numbers are not that good. Uh, Josh Tomlin, is he going to be an opener and maybe pitch two innings? Yeah, that's fine, but you're eventually going to tax the bullpen. And last year, the Yankees' bullpen was great, but it got taxed and eventually overworked in that series against Houston. Uh, so that's definitely one thing that, Atlanta has to watch out for. It's really important for them to win their first two games because of the weakness of the rest of the starting rotation. Uh, the Braves also did go 6-4 and four against the Marlins this season, so it was a pretty close series between the first and second place teams in the NL East. Uh, that's a very hard, very hard call to make, uh, but I'm going to say the Braves in four. You know, I also don't want to pick against the Marlins. They're a fun Cinderella story. They're owned by Jeter. Ran by Mattingly, but I just think that the Braves' offense is just too good and that this team, after getting over the postseason hump that they've been facing for multiple years, they're going to win this series. Uh, Dodgers, Padres. Outside, anyone outside of the Dodgers fan base or gamblers who have Dodgers futures, nobody wants the Padres to lose this series. Honestly, if you have a future to win the, on the Dodgers, you still might want the Padres to win this series. That's how much fun they are. I actually wrote an article on, on the blog about Fernando Tatis Jr. and how he's just one of the most exciting young stars in baseball today. Uh, also, great news for the Padres. Mike Clevenger could possibly return this series, which is a gigantic, gigantic boost for this club. He's one of their best pitchers and one of the best pitchers in the game. Obviously, it'd be interesting to see what he does. Uh, Maybe probably not a hundred percent, but having him in the series is just monumental. Uh, obviously, the Dodgers, forty-three and seventeen, four of those losses coming against the Padres. So you know, Padres at least know how to play this Dodgers team. Dodgers seem like the better team, but playoff baseball, anything can happen. Look, Padres are a young and upcoming team. I'm not gonna say they weren't supposed to be here, but this is their first time here in. Since 2006, I believe. Uh, let me see if that is correct. Uh, if the Padres made it, was it the first time since 2006? 
I believe so. Let me double check that. Yeah, first time here since 2006. Oh, wow. 2020 was the first time the Padres ever got a wild card bid as well. They won five division titles previously to that. But anyways, so, you know, they're not, it's not that they're not supposed to be here, but they're still a young team with a bright future, and they're really facing no pressure. If they lose this season, fans are still so optimistic about the future. But the Dodgers, there's a lot of pressure on them. They haven't brought a title to L.A. since 1988. They've, had, they've been known for having playoff chokings in the past, losing back-to-back World Series prior to last year's five-game loss to Washington. And there's a lot of pressure, as opposed to a Padres team that's just out here having fun. Uh, so that's what makes it very dangerous for them. That's why playoff baseball tends to be so full of upsets that you have these wild card teams that's, uh, that think, okay, we're not, uh, we're, we aren't supposed to be a World Series contender. Let's just come out and have fun and beat the team that's supposed to win it because they're facing pressure. I actually want to take the. I really, really want to take the Padres. I simply bet the Padres to win the series just because you got to love the Padres. They're just so much fun to watch. And uh, Clevenger is 100% and Lament is pitching. I honestly would have taken them. But the Dodgers, I just think they're too good this season. And I'm going to take them to win the series in five. Moving on to the NFL now. We're going to recap some week four. I guess before I recap week four, I'm just... You know, we obviously had another scare. Cam Newton came down with coronavirus. Obviously, that was pretty scary for the NFL because he's one of the most marketable players. But not only that, he's the quarterback. So, you know, he's having a ton of contact with guys, whether he's getting sacked or throwing the ball around. You know, he's it's not like he's some bench player who possibly could have limited the spread. And it happened in the middle of the week. It happened on a Saturday. So who's to say he didn't, he didn't get it on a... Friday or Thursday and pass it along during practice. Uh, the good news is there's been a lot of negative tests, but as the Titans have shown, more positive tests can come out day in and day out. So it's a little risky to be playing this game today. Uh, obviously, Cam Newton's out. I'm still picking the Chiefs to win this game with Brian Hoyer QB. Could see New England covering because it's hard to spot Bill Belichick that many points. I believe now it's up to 10 and a half. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited to have two Monday Night Football games on, even though Game 1 of the ALDS will be taking my priority. Uh, yeah, the Saints also had a bit of a COVID scare. Turns out it was just a false negative, thank God, because if that was not a false negative, the NFL would find themselves in deep, deep doo-doo. Uh, so now we're going to talk about the Saints, actually. Breeze appeared to be back against the Lions. His arm strength looked great. Emmanuel Sanders was finally stepping up in Emmanuel and Michael Thomas's absence, which he hasn't done the last two games, and that definitely affected the Saints' ability to, to move the ball. Uh, at first, people thought people the Saints could have panicked. The Lions got out to a fourteen nothing lead, which we've seen them do in the past. But the difference was the Saints team was injured there without Michael Thomas, without Jared Cook, without their top two corners, and all of a sudden it looked like wow, could the Lions pull off another? Another upset victory over a team that's much better than them. Uh, but you have to give credit to the Saints' defense. They really turned it around during the game, especially without their top two cornerbacks, Janoris Jenkins and Marshall Lattimore. So hats off to them for really stepping up, limiting Matt Stafford's big playability, really locking down Kenny Galladay, who, but without the Saints' top two corners, would have over four and a half catches. Only gets four catches. That's stiff. And this was the same team that we've honestly seen the last few years and what we've come to expect from them. Not the same team that we've seen the last two games, the one that was giving up big plays all game to the Raiders or giving up big plays to Devontae Adams' last Green Bay Packers team. Uh, but yeah, again, like, outside of, uh, you know, yeah, you would say, oh, the defense got, in, got them into that 14-0 hole. The defense played crappy on that first drive, and then the second drive they were aided by a Drew Brees pick. Poor Detroit Lions, though. This is just like the Green Bay game. They jump out to the quick 14-0 lead and then give up a ton of unanswered points. This game, it was 35 unanswered. And, you know, they, they had that win against the Cardinals. I said that was a backs-against-the-wall desperation kind of win. At the end of the day, this is just they're not a good team. The defense is still a major issue. And Patricia's just living on borrowed time at this point. There's no way Patricia makes it past the season. The Lions are just not good.
Another quarterback who's back, Brady's back. For everyone who was saying, oh, oh, Brady's done. Five touchdowns today. He shut them haters up down 24 to 7. You know the Brady haters were out speaking. Oh, Brady's washed. Brady's washed. He's down 24 7 to the Chargers. He's down 24 7 to the Chargers. And then the offense comes back, and then the offense eventually starts firing on all cylinders. He throws five touchdowns, the oldest quarterback in NFL history to ever throw five touchdowns. You know, him and Mike Evans were connecting. It wasn't just it wasn't just Mike Evans catching a one yard touchdown pass. Rojo looked good. Uh, he did drop a few balls here and there, but he was running really hard. Uh, Ronald Jones, and he was hitting OJ Howard, Cameron Bray, utilizing his other tight ends, Tom Brady. And just the offense finally looked to be clicking more and more. He's looking to get a lot more comfortable in that team. And the offense should only get better when Chris Godwin and Leonard Fournette are back healthy. And, of course, you have to give credit to this Buccaneers defense. Uh, so the defense allowed 17 points. One of, the, one of the points was a pick six. And the defense just continues to play really well. Herbert played pretty good for, San, for Los Angeles, actually. Completed a high percentage of his passes, but... The main thing that they were that the Buccaneers defense did, with the exception of oh no, they actually allowed twenty four points. Excuse me, I forgot about I forgot about that. Forgot they had thirty one. Uh, with the exception of that seventy two yard touchdown from the Chargers, the Buccaneers defense did a good job limiting the big play ability of Los Angeles. But you have to give credit to this team. They've been in every single game this season. Yeah, it sucks that they're one and three, but they really could be four and zero. Oh. But when have we heard this of the Chargers before? That's the story of the Chargers. Losing games you're supposed to win. You know, up 24 to 7, they blow this game. Again, you have to be happy because the defense did make some plays there without Chris Harris and Derwin James. Defense still had a pick six over Brady, at least early on. Bosa and Melvin, Melvin Ingram were putting the pressure on him. So that's one positive look forward for. Look forward about with the Chargers. It's probably going to be a long year, but they have a very, very bright future ahead of them. Carolina versus the Cardinals. Oh, my God. I'm done with the Cardinals. They ruined my can't-lose parlay this week, which was really Big Cat's can't-lose parlay that I rode with. Uh, but the Panthers, they're, they're 2 and out without CMC. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater was very, very efficient this game. He looked like he was earning his contract. Uh, winning their sec- winning a second straight game, all without his star running back. This is probably the best game he had all season. And, you know, I felt like this game was also never on red zone. It's possibly because it was uh, trending towards a blowout that red zone really never cut to this game. But it mostly felt like red zone would just cut to red alerts and show, oh, in the Carolina-Arizona game, this happened. Oh, this happened in Carolina-Arizona, red alert, but not actually showing us the game. Again, I, think, I do think part of that is because it was a 31-21 ball game. Uh, but again, you have to be happy for Carolina. The offense has looked a lot better the last two weeks without their star running back, like I mentioned. And Robbie Anderson has seemed to develop a good rapporteur early with Teddy Bridgewater, who's looking more and more comfortable in Matt Rule's offense. I'm still not sort of on Teddy Bridgewater's the guy, but I think it's clear that Matt Rule's offense is going to be good for the Panthers and that he will, he will be good with this team. When, when and if he has his franchise QB, which it could be Teddy. I could be wrong. I'm just not sold on Teddy just yet. Not sure what to think about Arizona. Obviously, I picked them as my surprise team in weeks one and two. That looked great. Now I'm not so sure. The defense has not looked good the last two games. You know, this, this is supposed to be an air raid offense. They got DeAndre Hopkins to stretch the field and air the ball out. And same thing with Christian Kirk. But they're not doing that. They're throwing a lot of underneath passes. And it just, again, I just don't get how you can be the air raid offense and not air it out. I really can't tell you what's gone wrong with them. It could be the offensive line. It's not Tyler. Like, he had three touchdowns today. He didn't have a turnover. Completed a high percentage of his passes. Maybe it's the offense not making an attack enough. Maybe it's the defense that's just that struggled the last two weeks. Maybe it's the offensive line. I really don't know what's gone wrong with them, but Cliff Kingsbury, he has to make adjustments in order for the to fix this team. Seahawks versus Miami. It's felt like a trap game. Especially early on, Seattle's offense was not struggling, wasn't getting going, and Miami kind of stayed in the game for a good part of it. But also, Russell Wilson, he was not going to let Seattle 
lose this game to Miami and let the offense struggle all game. Russell Wilson, he is still cooking, and he still looks like he is the he still looks like he's the prohibited favorite to win the MVP this season. Uh, it, looked, it looked like Chris Carson was not going to play after a scary injury last week. He came out. He played. He had two touchdowns for Seattle. This team is just firing at all cylinders right now. Whether it's the on the offensive side of the ball, whether it be running the ball, whether it be Russell Wilson hitting t- Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, David Moore. This offense is just clicking right now. The defense had its best game of the season, and that was without Jamal Adams. And yes, I think the defense is only going to get better as the season goes along. It can't be as bad as it's looked through the first three games. And right now, Seattle, they're the team to beat in the NFC. Uh, Miami side of things, you got to give Brian Flores a ton of credit. Yeah, they're one and three, but they fought hard and they've been in most of these games. And these are against good teams, you know, against New England, against Buffalo, against Seattle. He's kept them competitive and in all these games for the most part, fighting hard. And these teams have significantly better rosters than Miami. But week in and week out, the fighting Flores is have looked fantastic. Uh, Got to give him credit. Uh, Fitzmagic has played pretty well this year. Uh, which kind of is disappointing. I want to see Tua come in. I want to see what he can do for this Miami team. But we might not see him till next year, which, again, is pretty smart because, A, Fitzpatrick is playing well, and Tua was coming off a very serious injury last year. If this can somewhat serve as a medical redshirt year for him, then that's very beneficial to his future because you don't want to rush your, your, fran- your potential franchise quarterback back after a very, very serious injury in college, moving on to Vikings-Texans, uh, the red zone cut to this game a lot, actually. You want to think about a game between two winless teams being on red zone, but it got a ton of screen times. Uh, the Texans, watching them play, at times it was, what the hell? The offensive line was just not giving Watson any time. He was throwing just absolutely what kind of pass with that type passes? And I was just wondering, like, how is this guy my fantasy football quarterback? He is just not good anymore. And then at times, he made some great throws, some great plays. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the this is the Deshaun Watson that got that massive contract extension. Uh, but the Texans, you can't use that excuse anymore that, oh, they've played good teams. They've played the Chiefs and the Ravens. Oh, the Steelers' defense is really good, too. The Steelers are a really good team. They're 3-0. They lost to a winless Minnesota team. I do believe this Minnesota team is better than their record says they are. But again, if you're saying that the only reason that you have not won a game is because you're playing really, really good teams, A, that means you're not a really, really good team because if a really, really good team can beat other really, really good teams, you got to beat another team that's winless, whether they're better than their record shows or not. Uh, with Minnesota... It's clear with them. They're, they're better than their record. Uh, games 1 and 2 was very heavy mistake-filled. Actually, the first three games were very mistake-filled from Kirk Cousins. And that's why they didn't look good, especially weeks 1 or 2. Week 3, they looked good and almost won because they were feeding Dalvin Cook. That's good Minnesota. You feed Dalvin Cook, you do well, and you limit the opportunities for Kirk Cousins to make some mistakes. He barely threw the ball this game, completed a high percentage of his passes, and was an efficient game manager not turning the ball over, and look what happens. Minnesota wins. So that's what they have to keep doing. Keep feeding Dalvin Cook. Just like with Seattle, some people say they run too much. With Minnesota, sometimes they don't run enough. Keep feeding Dalvin. That's when this team does good. Ravens, Washington football team. I didn't even know what happened in this game because it was almost never on red zone unless it was a red alert. Just from what I can tell, the Ravens' offense looked like the Ravens' offense. Lamar Jackson and Mark Ingram both ran extremely hard. Mark Andrews was grabbing touchdowns for this team. The team that we know. The, the, the real Ravens, not the Ravens that are playing the Kansas City Chiefs when they become a completely different team. Uh, the Washington football team, they were talking about benching Dwayne Hassens this week. Uh, you know, the, he, you know he, played enough, he played pretty well this week. He completed a decent percentage of his passes. He didn't turn the ball over, as opposed to having the three picks last week. But he also didn't have any touchdowns with this team. Uh, so that, you know, at least he was efficient. 
But first off, I don't think Washington should bench him. He actually has two pieces of talent around him. He has Antonio Gibson, who is an okay running back. Not bad, but nothing special. And Terry McLaurin. Other than that, he is absolutely rubbish wide receivers. His offensive line is completely rubbish. And I don't think it's fair for them to judge their franchise quarterback because of the situation. The team has never been fully behind him. Ron Rivera even coming in was never the biggest Dwayne Haskins supporter. Jay Gruden seemed to not really support Dwayne Haskins. So he's never really had the support from that coaching staff. He's only had the support really from Dan Snyder, who people don't like. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not giving up on Haskins. This man, the mentality he has, he wants to be great. He wants to do great things, and he's shown he can do some good things at, towards the end of last season and in week one against the Eagles. You can't judge him until we actually get some help. Uh, it's funny I'm saying that because when I talk about the Giants, I might say the complete opposite with Daniel Jones, but we'll get into that. Uh, again, I just I'm, I'm also heavy biased towards the win Haskins. He was my guy at Ohio State, and I want to see him do well, and Honestly, I hope Washington gives up on him. I hope Washington says, you know what, you're not our guy. We're getting rid of you. And he goes somewhere that's not in the NFC East, unless it's the Giants. I wouldn't be opposed to that. And someone that actually appreciates his talent and skill set, and he thrives there and makes Washington regret getting rid of him. Sticking in the NFC East, this Cowboys-Browns game was absolutely insane. Um, like, I mean, Dallas is down 27 points in the fourth quarter, and at one point they cut it to three. They almost come back like, holy crap. This game was bonkers. I, I actually thought Dallas was going to come back because that's such a Browns thing to do. Get up dominant, get up, get up big, get up big, get up big, and then blow this big lead to the Cowboys. That just felt like, Something that could have happened for the Browns. And this game was a blowout, but you saw plenty of it on NFL Red Zone. You saw the Browns' offense plenty, which scored 30 points in three games for the first time in 50 years, according to Scott Hansen. The offense looked good. They opened up a ton of stuff for Odo Beckham, whether it be Baker throwing to him, Jarvis Landry throwing to him, or that sick reverse to end the game. Uh, by the way, this guy benched Odo Beckham in fantasy. I did it in case Devontae Adams played. And I'm like, the worst case if he doesn't play, I can play MVS. Adams isn't playing. Odell had 38 points on my bench. 38 points. I mean, I knew I should have played him against this Dallas defense. It's so bad. And Devontae Adams is not even playing. Ugh. That was... I'm 2-2 two and two now. and that, that was just literally one of the most infuriating fantasy decisions I've ever made. Ever made. I knew I should have started Odell Beckham against this Cowboys defense, but I, I really thought Adams was going to play. He just, he doesn't just. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. But I will say, I am beginning to drink the Browns Kool Aid again. Yeah, they almost blew this lead, but look, the defense made a ton of plays. Miles Garrett continues to look like one of the best pass rushers in the NFL right now, getting a ton of pressure on Dak Prescott. They forced a couple turnovers on the Dallas on the Dallas side as well. And they ran the ball, just like with Minnesota. When they run the ball, they do well. Even after Nick Chubb left the game, their third-string running back came in, uh, something Johnson, and he split carries with Kareem Hunt. So this running game hasn't very efficient, and they showed a keen commitment to keeping that running game going. And I'll begin to drink the Browns' Kool-Aid. As for Dallas, that defense is a real problem. It might be worse than the Atlanta defense right now. Uh, the offense has no problems moving the ball. You know, Dak Prescott continues to play out of his mind this season. But this team just, they have self-inflicted wounds. They fumble the ball. They commit penalties. Just, they're hurting themselves in these games. And, you know, they're 1-3 right now. I keep saying, oh, they'll be fine, they'll be fine, they'll be fine. Maybe they won't be fine because this defense is really bad. Dak Prescott is having to put up godlike numbers week in and week out. And realistically, this team is is playing anyone besides is, is, uh, Dan Quinn away. Is playing against a coach not named Dan Quinn away from being 0-4 like the Giants. Bengals-Jaguars. 
Um, then she looks more and more like he's not the guy. I do think he's going to keep the job all year. But I was talking more like Jacksonville. We'll draft a quarterback in the draft with a top five pick. Uh, that's really it for them. They really just did not look good all game long, especially in the second half. Uh, they're on their fourth kicker this season, including criminal and former New York Giant, Adric Rosas. Uh, that's a really bad at the Jacksonville. Uh, Burrow and Mixon both looked great. I was against Joe Mixon fantasy this week, so that was great. Sitting Odell on my bench rug going against Joe Mixon. You love to see it. And Joe Burrow looked great. I keep saying this. He's going to be a great quarterback. He's going to be a stud week in and week out. He gets better and better, and now he has his first career win. I, lo- I love me some Joey Burrow. He's just so nice with it. He has such good confidence, and he's going to be an elite quarterback in this game in a few short years. If he had a better roster around him and a better offensive line, this Bengals team could quite possibly even compete for a playoff spot this year. Bears-Colts. Bears finally play a good team. Uh, I didn't watch much of this game or the Raiders-Bills game because I was focused on watching the Giants as opposed to Red Zone. But from what I saw, Foles wasn't good. And the play calling was, wasn't good either. And I guess that's what happens when you don't play Detroit, New York, or Atlanta. And you play a good team, especially with the Colts in that defense. You're going to struggle. Uh, the Colts, the, the team, the team's legit. Uh, Phillip Rivers is playing somewhere. Uh, he didn't play his best ball, but he's not turning the ball over like he did in week one, which bodes well for them. And since week one, the defense has been locked down. They continue to split carries between Taylor, Hines, and Wilkins. I'm surprised that they're splitting carries as much as they are. I thought Taylor would be the lead back, given his dominant week two performance. But he hasn't he hasn't taken a bulk of the carries the last two weeks yet. But <clears throat> sorry, Ugh, the Colts are good. They like said they had the bad week one, but they've been good since, and they're most likely gonna be a playoff team and look like a potential dark horse contender. Raiders Bills. Again, I didn't watch that much of this game, but Josh Allen, man, he is just so much fun to watch. He is so good. He hurts his wrist, comes back, still dominates this game. If not for Russell Wilson, he is the MVP of the season. Right now, he led that great comeback against uh, against the Rams last week. Well, come back after blowing the lead. Anytime the Raiders cut in today's deficit, Josh Allen just responded, leading a great drive for a Bills touchdown. He continues to be one of the most efficient guys in the NFL right now and just leading a team that's so much fun to watch. His energy and his throws are just great, and I'm completely sold on the Josh Allen. I can't believe that there are still doubters out there. I was already started doubting myself after week one. Yeah, and he continues to play great. And this is a Raiders team, which is really not that bad. I think that they got lucky beating the Saints, but they're still a half-decent team, the Raiders. They shut down Josh Jacobs. They shut down Derek Carr. And this Bills team is really good. The defense is legit. Josh Allen is legit. And like I said, they're a contender. Giants, Rams. I mean, I'm, I'm done with Daniel Jones. I wrote an article about it. I've given up on Daniel Jones. Yeah, I know I used the argument. Oh, but yeah, I said Al Hassan doesn't have the offensive line. And yeah, Daniel Jones has no offensive line. He has no running back. And his, But he at least has decent receivers. You know, Sterling Shepard, he's out now. But for some last season, Golden Tate, Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, these are still not bad receivers. There are plenty teams who could be doing much worse at receiver than the Giants are. And it just, at some point, you can only blame these issues so much. I mean, 18 points in the last two games, six field goals, six field goals in two games. That is eight straight quarters without scoring a goddamn touchdown. We have two touchdowns all season long. At one po- at what point can you stop giving Daniel Jones excuses and excuses? And I'm done giving him excuses. He's not a good quarterback. He cannot move the ball downfield. The offense never gets moving. It's painful watching this Giants offense move because it's just short underneath throws. Dump offs to the running backs. Five yards and five yards in front of him. I mean, they are just oh my god. Like it's been 
hell to watch this season. He doesn't. He just does not look like an NFL quarterback. Multiple times, he stares down the same receiver the entire time. You're a defender. You can just look at his eyes. The, 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 if you're on, if he's, he's staring down a receiver on the right side of the field. If you're on the left side of the field, you can walk to the sideline, leave your wide receiver wide open, and he won't throw to him because he stares down receivers like he did on the game ceiling interception. It looked like he might actually lead a game winning drive, but he's like. Evan Ingram, Evan Ingram, I'm going to throw to you, I'm going to throw to you. The defense sees me looking at you, I'm just going to throw it to you. Throws the game ceiling pick. He's just not good. I was not a believer when we drafted him. He made me sort of a believer before the year. But look, I'm done through four games with him. Yeah, you can say, oh, it's only been four games, it's only been four games. But yeah, this was a guy who should never should have been a top 10 draft pick to begin with. He's not good at all. I still don't know why the hell we took him over Haskins. Why the hell we took him over Drew Locke. I have zero, zero confidence in Daniel Jones, and I'm done with him. I'm, do- I'm done with him. I don't believe he's a franchise quarterback. I'm sure he'll have one game where he comes out and throws like three touchdowns, and he's like, oh, I still have it. Nope, nope, I don't believe you. You're, literally, you're worse than Mitch Trubisky. You're worse than Dwayne Haskins. I don't want to hear about your offensive line or your lack of talent around you, but you just still had, because even with Saquon Barkley, you couldn't do anything. It's not, you know, you're the quarterback. You were supposed to get this offense going, and said you don't. Yeah, some of it's the play calling. I mean, I don't know why the hell Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator. He he was very conservative with the Dallas Cowboys, and yep, he's being conservative with us. How do, you, how do you evaluate your franchise QB? You throw the ball deep. You open up the playbook. Instead, all we do is short underneath passes. Oh, third and long. Let's throw a, let's throw a pass two yards in front of us. Maybe we'll get five yards and make it fourth and eight or something. It's just so frustrating. And I don't even hate Joe Judge. I don't think Joe Judge is a bad coach. He just has zero, and I mean zero talent on this roster. Zero talent at quarterback. Average talent at wide receiver, zero talent at running back without Saquon Barkley, one talented player in the secondary because everybody else is hurt. And okay, I'm not gonna say zero talent on the roster because the front seven is actually good. The defensive line, which has been good all year, is kind of stifling the running games of other teams. The linebackers have been okay. Blake Martinez has proved to be a great signing. Uh, so those are some positives for the Giants. Oh, and we're only like. A game back of the NFC, or a game and a half back of the NFC East lead, so uh, that's something to look forward to for the Giants. But this team is just an absolute dumpster fire right now, and I'm all for. I'm honestly close to saying, let's put in Colt McCoy. I think Colt McCoy gives this team a better chance to win than Daniel Jones does, or we could just tank for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields at this point because. The Giants cannot go into 2021 with Daniel Jones at their quarterback if he continues continues to play like this. Uh, Eagles, Niners. Now I mentioned Giants are a game and a half back, a first place. Because the Eagles somehow are first place. Uh, Wentz played the best game of his ye- best game of the year for him. Uh, he made some plays despite having no wide receivers, even hitting a guy from Old Dominion who hadn't had a touchdown. All season, had had a catch all season for a touchdown. Uh, I guess that you know again with Wentz, he has been not very good this year, but he literally has arguably less talent around him than the Giants do. Uh, you know he was making plays with his feet, and it was a great, well coached game from Doug Peterson. On the Niners side, the offense struggled a lot without Jimmy G. The loss of their guys was felt a lot more last week. Nick Mullins did not do anything to inspire this team. Although, don't forget, he hung 36 on the Giants last weekend somehow. Uh, he had an awful pick six that put the that put the Niners in a big hole, which C.J. Beathard came in, drove him right down the field for a touchdown, got the ball back, and almost drove him down the field again. Uh, they didn't do enough to win the game, but he looked, he looked better than Nick Mullins did C.J. Beathard. Although last week the Giants made Nick Mullins look like a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, the hash show was hit a game-winning Hail Mary to beat the Eagles. It was pretty close at the end, but at the end it didn't count. Gonna say preview Packers Falcons for tonight. Uh, I mean Falcons are on three, Packers are three and out. Packers are gonna win this game. That's really all there is to say about it. The question is, is it gonna be the Packers blowing them out, or are the Falcons gonna blow a two-touchdown lead? Uh, since Devontae Adams is likely not playing, I'll go with it. They're gonna blow a lead this game. 
that's about it for talking NFL Week 4. Going to do a quick college football recap. OU. F-A-R-U-D-S. Frauds. They go down again. So this time to Iowa State, up 17-6. They blow another lead. Spencer Rattle is Spencer Rattled. Goodbye, Oklahoma. You're out of the rankings. Say goodbye to your college football playoff hopes, OU. <laughs> you know who else can say goodbye to the college football playoffs, too? Texas, because Texas is F-R-A-U-D-S. Frauds. This was the game that they were supposed to beat TCU. This is Sam Ellinger in his senior year. This is against a rebuilding TCU team that has been ravaged by COVID. And they look awful all game. TCU outplays them almost the entire game from start to finish. Texas actually has a chance to take the lead. They fumble at the one-yard line. They're donezo. D-O-N-E. Done, Texas. They can't, they're can't. they not sniffing the college football playoff either. There's only one team in the Big 12 that has a chance to sniff, and that's Oklahoma State and face it. They beat West Virginia and they beat Kansas and they beat Tulsa this season. None, no team, none of those teams are particularly that good, so something tells me OK State's not making it. Uh, speaking of Tulsa, they did upset UCF. UCF, who always hopes that they can make it to the playoff with an undefeated season, being a, being a group of five school, they could wave their chances goodbye because they lost at home to Tulsa, blowing a massive lead as well. I uh, was stunned that that happened. I saw the spread. I almost took UCF, but I'm like, eh, maybe I won't. I just won't take it. I'll save my betting for NFL. Good thing I did it because Tulsa pulls off the upset uh, on the SEC. LSU bounced back. Georgia looked good. Uh, kicking the living shit out of Auburn. Alabama right now looks like one of the title favorites. Absolutely blowing out Texas A&M. Mississippi State was very upstart. Thought big things were ahead after last week's upset of LSU. Then they get upset by Arkansas. And Kentucky just blows the game again. Their kicker, I hate that guy. I took Kentucky minus six and a half. Or minus seven, actually. So, at best, I'm hoping for a push. Overtime touchdown. And this schmuck misses an extra point. I mean, you are in college to kick. You, know, you miss a field goal. It happens. But how the hell do you miss a college extra point from 20 yards out? How the hell do you get a scholarship to kick if you can't even hit a goddamn extra point? It is amazing to me that this guy is actually on scholarship. It should be rescinded after that game. You know, I was mad, but, you know, I'm over it. I can't even imagine being a Kentucky fan and watching your kicker miss a goddamn extra point. Uh, that's really about it with Talking Sports. I'm going to do a couple of TV show recaps now. Uh, South Park and Walking Dead. The South Park Pandemic Special was Wednesday. One of the best episodes they've ever done. They attacked every single person, whether it be President Trump, whether it be uh, Dr. Fauci. Just the pandemic special was great. Making fun of uh, the whole the riots, the protests, going after it. Making fun of just how we're screwed. Uh, Cartman, <laughs> Cartman, you know, loving the social distancing, holding his six foot, six feet away stick. <laughs> uh, Cartman doing the Zoom classes, pretending he was buffering. It was just a great episode. They literally could not have done that more perfectly. Obviously, Randy continues to show he's one of the strengths of the show by having him have sex with a bat, having him have sex with a pangolin. That proves he could have been the one to spread the virus <laughs> in America. Yeah, it was so funny. I mean, at one point, the cops are taking over as, as the teachers because the teachers refuse to go back to school. Token gets shot in the arm. And then instead of uh, protesting, they just say, oh, it was COVID-related. And the reason it's COVID-related is the cops were at the school teaching instead of the teachers because of COVID and then ended up shooting Token. Therefore, COVID-related. It's an all, all-time great episode. And then Walking Dead was supposed to be the season finale. They extended season 10 by six episodes. I know I'm actually, I actually still watch Walking Dead, believe it or not. Not many people do. Episode was okay. They hype it up for months and months and months This about how it's going to be a deadly finale. And we lose one character in the finale on the good guy's side. This girl named Beatrice, who basically barely know her. None of the good characters died, so that was I was a little disappointed in. There was definitely intensity, so they're they're going against the Whisperers, who were um, who were 
a zombie mask to blend in, and they have to move through a zombie horde in order to lure their zombies away from the hospital and drive them over a cliff by playing music. When they're moving through the horde, it's very intense, and that was, you know, it was a great scene. They get on the wagon, they start playing music to try to draw the horde away, and again, it's really good, really intense, because what are the whispers going to do? Then the whispers attack and try to sabotage the wagon, and it's like, oh, are they going to do it? Are they going to do it? Uh, they're fighting in the, they're fighting in the middle of the road using the walkers as a defense system, and they eventually do take out the wagon, destroying the music, and begin to turn the turn the herd back around to go right towards the hospital where the survivors are held up. But then Daryl devises a plan, which is pretty badass. They go inside the herd and start killing whispers one by one. Really awesome, intense scene. But then this scene was a little, the only issue, it, it, it was a good intensity, but I felt a little rushed, some of it. Uh, Beta, who's one of the big bad villains of the show, uh, sees Negan, who killed Alpha, his leader and possibly the love of his life. He attacks him, goes to fight him, and then in 10 seconds, Daryl comes and kills Beta. And the whole Beta death scene was pretty cool. He seemed to embrace getting killed by the walkers, which showed his... He was mentally unstable, the guy. He was a country singer pre-apocalypse, and the apocalypse just drove him insane. And it was really cool just seeing how broken of a man he was when he died. They did that well. But I just thought it was way too rushed having Daryl come in, slash him, stab him in the eyes. I kind of wanted more of a drawn-out battle scene. Would have preferred a longer episode. But again, it was a pretty cool way for him to die. Uh, Maggie returned. And again, Ma Maggie's return was awesome. It was at the nick of time. We have Gabriel fighting off whispers, but that but it was a very quick scene that Maggie comes in and saves him five seconds later. Uh, overall, there was some good intensity in the show, very intense episode, but some of the stuff just seemed way too rushed. Uh, I'm excited to see what they do with the next six episodes and how the new season of Fear of the Walking Dead is going to be. Uh, I just want to thank everybody. That's the end of my show. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, for all the updates, go check out the Bird's Eye View podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Go follow J Bird's Eye View on Twitter. Uh, go check out the Bird's Eye View on YouTube. And if you want to read my articles, including my thoughts on Daniel Jones most recently, go to goldstein514.wixsite.com slash the Bird's Eye View. Thanks so much, everybody, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.